review uh, in light of the three previous sessions. If you guys remember, the first one, session, what did we do? If you guys even look at the board, what did we do for the first session? We don't say, just say Trinity, but what? What about the Trinity? We've established that it is what? Taught in the Bible, right? Then after defining and showing the Trinity is from the Bible, our second session, if you guys remember, we dealt with the issue of recognition, right? Uh, like sometimes we struggle when people don't recognize what we have done good. But then we look at the Trinity what? We saw also the, how, the, uh, the, how the members of the Trinity glorify one another. Uh, and also that has implication for that. Then the last hour, what did we look at? What was the last hour we looked at? What about the Trinity? The Trinity and what issue? S word that people don't like today. Submission. Submission, okay? Submission and what? The Trinity, okay? And we draw implications of how that also helps us, okay? So the final one we're going to look at tonight is the issue of what? Unity and the Trinity, okay? Unity and the Trinity. Uh, specifically, we're going to be looking at church unity and the Trinity, okay? We're going to look specifically at church unity and the Trinity, okay? Um, let me begin by saying is, is church unity important? Yes, okay. Uh, so in light of this, I think is also as well, I also think there's even implication for marriage, for instance, and also even for, for other uh, aspects of Christian serving together and all these things. But primarily, I think this is really talking about church unity, okay? Um, so today, we're going to be, for this passage, we're going to be looking on, um, this will be more um, focusing on a narrow passage, okay? We're going to read, turn with me to John 17. Verses 20 to 23, okay? We're going to be focusing on these four verses. John 17, verses 20 to what? 23, okay? John 17, verses 20 to 23, okay? Uh, so we're going to go uh, counterclockwise, okay? Caleb will read verse 20. Anthony read 21. Eric 22. And then Victor read verse 23, okay? John 17, verses 20 to 23. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Hmm. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. Okay, so just looking at this passage, initial observation. Initial observation. The glory, say again. Yeah, you see the unity of the Trinity, okay. Any other thoughts? Okay, so if you guys remember, we've looked at John 17 uh, quite a bit throughout various sessions. Like, we kind of looked at it briefly in passing. But now we're going to really focus on these four chapters. Remember what was the context of John 17? John 17, what is, who's speaking here? G, who's speaking? Jesus, okay. In fact, who is he speaking to? He's speaking to who? God the Father, okay. He's actually praying for us, okay. If you look at, at the verse, you see throughout church history, people have believed, people have endured. How is that possible? Is because of prayer of who? Jesus. And Jesus acting as our high priest. Praying for us. Okay? Praying for us. So in this passage today, we're going to see three points. What are the point number one? 
Point number one is... What's point number one? Result of Christian unity. Okay, so we're going to be looking first, so we're going to do it backwards, okay? Tonight we're going to look first at what is the result, okay? There's a, a result clauses that's in this passage. We're going to look at the result of Christian unity. Like, why is it a good thing? What does it bring about, okay? Uh, some people today, we could be about unity for what? Unity's sake, yes? But also, unity for unity's sake is often leads to more problem, okay? Uh... It could also be where sometimes we shouldn't be united on something that is not good, okay? So we're going to see the result of Christian unity. Point number two, what is point number two? Point number two is, so if you're taking notes, point number one is the result of Christian unity. Point number two is? Hearing the Trinity for our unity. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see the Trinity. There's a lot of ing ending, right? Marrying the Trinity. For our unity, okay? That is, the, something about the relationship of the Trinity should impact the way what? We pursue what? Unity also as well, okay? And then point number three. What's point number three? We're going to see within this passage the means of unity, okay? Uh, I don't want to just say, hey, look at the Trinity. They're united, therefore we, we should be united, which is true. But also within this passage, there's also more practical means of how do we pursue what? Unity, Okay? Uh, or at least more practical in the sense of a, a general direction of heading uh, towards that, okay? So point number one is what again? The result of Christian unity. Point number two is mirroring the Trinity for our unity, okay? And point number three is the means of unity, okay? So in light of this, let's look at point number one, okay? And by the way, uh, one of the things I want to go over this is because I think as we grow, and I do pray our church grow, but I also realize we're more people, the threat of unity is even more, what, real, okay? But the way I think the biblical way of pursuing unity is not going for the lowest common denominator, but it actually is to be, what, more high-octane, more biblical, more deeper, meaty, what, doctrine, right? More meaty doctrine. I mean, just look at, I mean, look at our dinner tonight, right? What do we have for dinner? Steak. And I always love how everyone just stands around, all united, eating <laughs> what? Steak, okay? Like, wow, it got everyone all happy and excited, okay? So, I think the way to, for true Christian unity is contrary to the world. The world would say what? Emphasize less what? Biblical distinctives of what you believe. But I actually think it's not necessarily the case. It's actually saying, hey, in order to have true unity, we need to have more in common. And one of the things we have more in common has to be the truth. And the deeper things of what? Of God. Okay? So point number one, we're going to see the result of unity. There's going to be three results, okay? How many results? Three, okay? So it's almost like a Russian doll. We're going to put one, and there's also sub three more sub points. Does that make sense? Okay? So result number one is what? If you're looking at the outline, result number one is being in who? God, okay? Uh, this is stated in verses 21, okay? The, uh, in the second half of verse 21, it says, That they may also be in us, okay? Remember, the context is Jesus Christ is speaking to God the Father, okay? So in light of that, uh, when it says they might be in us, in the context, who is this us referring to? Who are the reference for, for the us? It's Jesus Christ, obviously, who's speaking, and who else? God the Father, whom he's addressing, okay? So here, notice it says that, hey, one of the results, and I think that's how I take the word that, 
there in the Greek, I think it's, it's a purpose clause. Is that when there's unity, they're also what? In God, the Father, and the Son. Okay? So notice the order. Okay? If you look at the whole verse as a whole, it begins that they may be one. And then therefore, if they're one, they would be together with who? God the Father and God the Son. Okay? Uh, so now I'm going to ask a trick question. Trick question time. Okay? Uh, which comes first? We're united with Christ, and therefore we could be united, uh, we'll be united as church and believers. Or is it the other way? We're united as believers, and therefore we're united in God. Which one do you normally think of, I guess? First, which is what? Yeah. Okay. Now, if someone tells you, okay, hey, the order is you should be united as believers first, and then therefore you're united with God. Some of us might be a little bit cautious, right? We would think, hey, that sounds a little bit like works what? Righteousness, right? Works righteousness, okay? And the answer, I would say, is not works righteousness, but the answer is in some sense both, okay? Did you look at verses, uh, let's look at verses 21 slowly again, okay? Verses 21, which came first? It says, that they may all be one. Do you guys see that? It was talking about us as believers be one. And then even as you and the Father are, so it's the mirroring part. And then the purpose clause is that they may also be in us, okay? So is there a Bible contradiction between grace and works? And I don't think it is, either of those. I think what's going on here when it says, like, hey, one result of Christian unity is we're in God the Father and God the Son. It's not saying you didn't have God the Father and God the Son before. It's I think what it's trying to emphasize is that you grow closer to God. Does that make sense? There's a sense it's true. You know, like, we don't get saved by reading the Bible. Works righteousness, like brownie points. But at the same time, when you read the Bible, you get closer to God. When you serve God, you get closer to God, if you have it do it with the right heart. Yeah, okay? You identify with His suffering, the difficulties, and, and all of that. So I think what is going on here is not emphasizing that you're saved, that you know God by works, by being the hard work of unity. But it's emphasizing that we might be closer to who? To God. Does that make sense? So one of the results of Christian unity is actually we are closer to God. Let me emphasize real quick. This is not works righteousness, okay? It's not emphasizing works righteousness. But it's really, even though when we're united, we have unity, it's really the work of who in our hearts? The Holy Spirit. Yeah, God, the Holy Spirit. Remember? Sanctifying us, convicting us of sin, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, all of that kindness, all of that, which is the essential ingredient for what? All ingredients for Christian unity need the fruit of the Spirit, Okay? So in light of all that, this is where as you draw closer to God, you're also drawing closer to what? Other believers, and therefore you are closer to who? God also as well, okay? God also as well, okay? So in light of this, I think it's, this is what it's the result, okay? So let me emphasize again. It's really because we're rooted in Christ, that's before we can have unity, but the other side is also true. The more you're united with others, the more you can get along with other believers, and to be like-minded and one accord, that also grows you to become what? Closer to God, okay? There is a corporate dimension in sanctification, okay? There's a corporate dimension. Sometimes we think Christianity is just an individualized thing, right? Just you and God, which is true. You can't just, have Christian, you can't just be a Christian just because your parents are Christians, right? Merely because they are Christians. But nevertheless, there is what? A corporate part, okay? You deal with difficult people, should always sanctify us to what? Be more like Christ, and that kind of thing, okay? So let's, so do we see that the first result is that we are drawn closer to God, okay? So is there a second result? What's the second result? 
I'll drink water, I'll catch my breath. What is the second result? Christian maturity that they may be perfect, perfected in unity. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's Christian maturity, okay? Uh, in verses 23, it says, Does all your versions say they may be perfected? Or some of your versions say mature? Verses 23, first half. Uh, does it say mature or perfected? I'm just curious. Perfected. Perfected, okay. Yeah, so I think there's a sense, uh, uh, the term perfected could also be mature, okay? There's a sense, I think, is also, the result of Christian unity is that we become what? Grow more mature. Because unity is not stagnant. You guys realize that? Some of us think the less thing we do with church, the more we're united. Because we don't have any conflict, right? You ever meet someone that ever say, oh, you know, I'm a very peaceful guy? But his way of being peaceful is he's not involved in anyone's life. He's not involved in anyone at work. Everything. Of course he's a peaceful guy because he's not doing anything, right? It's only when we work with other people to discover, oh, whoa, actually we're kind of difficult. Actually we're not very easy. Actually we need to really have the fruit of patience, etc. Okay? So here we see that as a result of Christian unity, the Christian unity is not stagnant. It's something that is what? Dynamic. Okay? There could be one situation, one other things, and boom, it's easily just to be lost. But yet, when we're navigating, as we're growing in unity, it's something that is what? Involving all of our Christian dynamic. We have to be what? Patient. Yes? We have to be long-suffering. Okay, what else? We have to be forgiving. Yes? We have to be all these things. Okay? So as a result, sometimes it's so hard. We're going through it, but we might not even miss. We might even miss the point that what? We are actually growing in Christ. Okay? How many of you guys ever went on a trail? On a trail where it curves so much around the mountain? You feel like you're going in circles. Until like an hour later, you start looking down and say, hey, you're making what? Progress, okay? Same thing also, so I think a lot of times as a Christian life, is that as you're going about pursuing unity, it's like, oh, so hard, but not be unbeknown to you, because you're dealing with every day, but as you look back, you see, whoa, God has grown you to be closer to who? Drawing you closer to God, okay? So that's the second result, is Christian maturity or perfection also as well, okay? And what is the third result? Others believe in Christ. Others believe in Christ, okay? In fact, actually, I think, I think Jesus, in this short section, He's emphasizing more about Christian unity being used evangelistically, that others may believe in God. All these other uh, two results, there's only uh, one, uh, what do you call it? one clause that I'm quoting. All the, the two purpose clauses. But with this part about others believing in Christ, apparently God has it where our unity is what God uses to reach you. The loss, okay? This is not stated in one clause, but in two clauses, okay? We saw two clauses earlier. Each one is different. But now it's, you know, four, four purpose clauses in this passage. And here, half of it, 50% of it, is focused on the evangelistic result of our unity, Okay? Let's turn first to verse 21. You guys see the part where the second half says, So that the world may believe in you who sent me. Do you guys see this? Mm -hmm. This show that Christian unity is observable, even by the world, okay? Sometimes we can say, oh, you know what? True Christian unity, you can't see it. That's kind of true because there's a spiritual dimension, right? We're drawn closer to God, they're drawn It's not everything is tangible. But nevertheless, the Bible actually teaches there's some sense true Christian unity is observable, by what? An unbelieving and even a doubting world, okay? So this shows that Christian unity is observable, even by the world, okay? I'm quoting one, uh, this is a Calvary Chapel pastor here now, okay? 
uh, his point is here, if you follow along the outline, he's saying this is a remarkable statement, okay? Jesus actually, in some sense, is giving the world permission to judge the validity of the Christian message based upon us. That is based upon the unity of God's people, okay? And then I'm going to call here, unity among God's people help the world believe the Father sent the Son, okay? Okay, and this is now D.A. Carson. He's saying, this display of unity is so compelling, so unworldly that their witness as to who, who Jesus is becomes explainable only if Jesus truly is a revealer whom the Father sent us, okay? Now I realize in TCAC, we have a lot of cultural dynamic, yes? We come from various backgrounds, okay? Some of us are ABC, uh, American-born what? Chinese, okay? Some of you guys are Half. What do you call half? Half. Okay. <laughs> some of you guys are. Uh, some of you guys are what? Um, Canto speaking. Yes. Some of of us is experiences from Taiwan, and and then somehow like your ancestry, right? Some you know first generation, and and then you go to Chinese side. Is there even more dynamic? Yeah. There's some people that are what actually Cantonese. Okay. I think of your mom, Anthony. I think of uh, Derek's mom. Right? I, I think of, you know, my dad, I think he's more comfortable with Cantonese, uh, besides Hakka, right? So all of that, okay? And then you have those from the mainland. So all kinds of things, okay? So in light of all this, the way that we have true unity is actually, I think the only way we can is actually closeness to who? Closeness to God, okay? The unity cannot be based on ethnicity. And by the way, some of us don't even fit a category, right? There's, you know, my wife is not, right? And others are in the English side. We're not, not everyone is what? Chinese, okay? Right? So in light of all this, we need to realize what? In light of what the only way to emphasize unity, I think, is not the differences we have. Believe it or not, there's ministry out there that emphasize, oh, look, we're so multicultural, and then point out everyone is all different. And then say hey, we're all united, which is cool. But at the same time, the way to true unity is actually going to be focusing on our relationship to God, okay? But then the result, the world will point to that and say, whoa, this is incredible, okay? And by the way, I think that's a very compelling a testimony in the early church. It was a multicultural church. You guys understand the beginning? Within the first uh, century, the church already, their DNA is already what? Mix of what kind of people? Jews and Greeks or Gentiles, right? Pig-eating, dirty Gentiles. Raise your hand if you're one of those. I am, okay? You know, I eat dim sum. Yeah, it's okay now, right? Eat elk pastor, whatever, all those other tacos and everything else, right? Right? I like my chasu bao, okay? All of that, okay? And yet, guess what happened? How we could be united by Christ? And how could we have the unity? Actually, the book of Ephesians is going to go over that. That's why Ephesians even began with what? The Trinity first, right? His work and his foundation for unity, okay? But here we see that the world, unbelieving world, when they see that, this is a very powerful what? Testimony, okay? I think in our age, we might be a little more diversified. But I remember one year, one of my first years going to Nepal, like, you know, this one country, it's a country that don't have only class, they also have caste. And then when I'm there, everyone looks the same, you know, typical ignorant Westerner, right? Until somebody points out, whoa, look at all the different colors that there is here. I said, whoa, actually that's true, okay? And that is a very powerful, what, testimony to the world. Even the other believers are like, wow, we could do this together, okay? Because of the power of what? The gospel, okay? So the, to a lost and dying world, this is a very powerful thing. In our narrative today, there is a lot of division emphasized, yes? 
I don't want to get into politics of things. But here we see the gospel shows that other might believe when we have what? Unity. Okay? Look with me also in verses 23. In the second half of verse 23, this is what it says. Do you guys see so that? So that, by the way, is a purpose clause. It's so that in, in the Greek, is actually only one word. But we say so that is to convey that one word, which is what? Indicating purpose or result. Okay? It says, So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. So for the second time here, we see that one of the uh, result of Christian unity is what? For the second time stated, is to bring others to know who? Christ. Okay? In this passage, there's also the added information about what? God's love being as what as the thing that's being made known, okay? God's love that's and this I think echoes earlier Jesus' teaching that love is a sign of someone being a disciple of Christ. If you guys could put your pinky in your thumb, turn with me to John chapter thirteen. John chapter thirteen verses thirty four to thirty five. Uh, Noel, would you be able to read John chapter thirteen verses thirty three? I mean thirty four? And then Nancy read verse thirty five, okay? Again, John chapter thirteen. Noel, read verse 34, and then Nancy, read verses 35, okay? A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I love you, and that you will also love one another. Okay. And this all I know that you are my disciples, if you have Yeah, so you see the, the awe of that, right? That God is uh, saying here, through Jesus Christ, um, that in terms of believers, one of the, how do you know someone's a believer? Is they have what? That you have love, and specifically love one another in context of what? The church, okay? Other believers, okay? And then verse 34, what a crazy st- statement, that all men will know you are my disciples, because you love one another. As much as we love apologetics, it is kind of true. God's powerful apologetics for most everyday people they probably won't look into the transcendental argument, right? They probably wouldn't be looking up like all about the manuscript evidence of how we could always piece the original part of the Bible, the wording. They probably don't look into the, you know, read Josh McDowell's thick book, Evidence at the Man of Verdict, right? Of why is it that the resurrection is such an attested historical document? Even people outside that were not Christians even mention, allude to it, that something happened, okay? They probably want, might not read up Josephus. You see Jesus Christ historically existed. But practically, sometimes God uses what? The apologetics of the church. Specifically, the love within the church. And of course, love is one of the essential ingredients for what? Church unity. Okay? So, that's a sign that you're a believer. And then the bigger picture is also a sign so that people may come to know Him. Okay? Let's turn back to John chapter 17. Okay? John chapter 17. Uh, Eric, if you want to start the fire, I think we could begin now um, with that. And you can come back. Okay? Um, so, uh, so that's point number one, okay? So that's the halfway sign. Okay? Or halfway point, okay? So, uh, don't rush it. Huh? Don't rush it. Don't rush it. I know, I'm not rushing it. I'm, I'm not rushing it either. <laughs> not really. Okay, I'm always excited. Things I'm excited, I always what? Speak pretty fast, okay? Uh, I know when I was overseas, one of the Translators say to me, Do you pre- at your church you only preach 30 minutes? I said, No. Why? What do you think I preach 30 minutes? Oh, because, uh, cause, you know, with me, it's already like, you know, an hour, but like, how does it, you know, like, how does it happen? So, oh, I just, 
It's how fast. The reason only why I slow down here is because of you guys. You know, uh, 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 the translator, I mean, right? Okay, and then it also you fill in more, right? Because I'm always cutting, right? Even the outlines, I'm always cutting. Right? It's like being a, it's like Ben cutting the meat right there, right? It's like, oh, you gotta serve it. It's time. But sometimes you just gotta cut and just serve it, right? You gotta summarize, not dwell on, and just what? Deliver, okay? So, yeah, trim, yeah. So it's like being a chef, okay? So let's go on, okay? Point number two. Where's point number two? So point one is we look at the result of Christian unity. Point number two is marrying the Trinity for our unity, okay? So here, this is amazing. I know the Trinity is a hard to understand concept, right? It is a hard to understand concept. I don't think a lot of times in church retreat they talk about Trinity. But at the same time, as hard as it is, we prove the biblical text, all that stuff, it, you know, why the Trinity is, all of that is sometimes uh, so hard to understand how, because there's no other being that's three in one, right? And those three is essentially the same. It's not one third, one third, one third, and then equals one. But it's also each one. The Father is fully God. The Son is fully God. Jesus Christ is fully God, right? Uh, no, just, oh, the Holy Spirit is also fully God, right? Okay, so it's hard. But yet at the same time, you see what's incredible is now Jesus says as unique of a being as God is, the triune God. Now he's going to say, hey, you should mirror this. That the basis and even the motivation of Christian unity is based upon the Trinity, okay? So the Trinity is what Christians need to meditate upon. Specifically, meditate upon the relationship of the Father and Son. If we're going to have Christian unity, okay? Jesus emphasized this with three statements. How many statements? Three, three statements that emphasize that the way we have Christian unity is by studying and meditating upon the relationship of the Father and the Son. Okay? The Father and the Son. Okay? Uh, verse, the first statement is found in verses 20. One okay. Uh, could I have someone read verse twenty one again so I could catch my breath and drink water? Um, Julie. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world can believe that you have sent me. Okay. So thank you for the statement. If you see in the middle here. Of verses one, uh, 21, you see that he says what? Um, uh, verses, uh, where it says, even as you. Do you guys see that part? Father are in me, and I in you, okay? And earlier before that, he's saying, hey, they might be one. And then at, right after this, there's that word of comparison. You guys see the word as? You guys remember learning in English class? What is a simile? What is a simile? Uh, when you have comparison and use what word? Like. Oh, like. Like. Or as. As, yeah, okay, like, as. And what's the difference with, with, with analogy? You just don't necessarily say that, right? Don't worry, we're pretty bad with grammar. I'm pretty bad with grammar, too. The only reason why I know those words is because I started going to seminary. Finally, after all these years of college, finally knowing what a preposition was, right? By a miracle in the grace of God, okay? But going back on with this, okay? So you see here, he's making a comparison. He's saying, hey, you, he's praying for the believers to be one And then he draws his imagery As a simile He says comparison is what? It's clear to comparison Because he used the word as, as And what's the comparison? It's the father's relationship with who? The son, okay? When he says father uh, As you father are in me And I in you, okay? Let me ask you guys a uh, question Is it Jesus Christ in God the Father? Or is God the Father in Jesus Christ? 
Say again. Jesus Christ and the Father. Okay? Is that biblical? Yes, okay. Oh, what about right. the other view that the yeah, the son is in the uh because in the father. In his role, yeah. And then also, yeah, so this verse also says a I and you, okay? Yep. I space I N and then space Y O U, okay? I and you, okay? Uh so so in, and at the same time the father's in who? The son. This is why Jesus' statement oftentimes, if you have the son, you have who? The father, okay? I think it's both. By the way, uh, in, in Reformed theology, there's a fancy name I can't call it. Parochiosis or whatever, I can't pronounce it. It's the fact that the father and son's relationship, they're so close. The father's in the son, and the son is in who? The son is also in the father. They're still distinct, okay? It's, so it's not, a, uh, you know, it's not a scrambled egg, okay? You know how there's egg and yolk? You scramble it, you know, and then it becomes like, oh, what is this, right? There's one big glo-. So there's a sense there's still this thing, but there's still also be what? Abiding within each other, okay? That's actually the closest way, okay? That's the closest way you could ever be with someone is to dwell within them. Does that make sense? Okay? Is to live within them. Not just live with them, not live across from them, but to live inside them. And yet, who lives inside each other? They're so close. Is the fathers in the... Son, and the Son is in the Father, okay? That's an incredible, okay? By the way, if you ever want to see the implication for that, for society and all this stuff, and even a powerful apologetics argument, um, there is a book called Traces of the Trinity, okay? That guy goes into every sphere about how in philosophy there's something called the problem of the one and the many. And yet the Christian worldview is the only one that could explain that, okay? That could balance both, okay? Because all throughout history, you see the battle is really the idea of the one in the middle. Maybe a p- political example, right? Uh, is it worth one person dying for all? Or is all very important? Uh, is individual important, okay? There's always that balance, the problem, okay? But I think only in the Trinity do you see the one and the many are both equally ultimate, okay? Uh, because God is ultimate being and He's also what? Trinity, okay? Uh, by the way, you guys know the name university? What does it actually mean in the beginning? Is they, a University is a place you learn about many, many what? Yeah, university is what? Well, okay, undergrad, uh, lower division, what do you guys learn? Uh, One subject? Subjects. Yeah, okay, yeah. General education. Yeah, general, or you could say diversity, okay? <laughs> D- diversity of subject, right? What are some GE classes you guys had before? What are some GE classes you have right now? <laughs> Anthropology, history. History, right? Even though you're an uh, environmental, what, major or something like that, okay? So there is unity in diversity, okay? Different subjects, but yet. The beauty of that, okay? In fact, some of your higher up division class, you have a lot about what? Inter what? Uh, interdisciplinary uh, subjects, right? So you see here that the Father and uh, here is Jesus saying, hey, both are together, okay? The significance of this statement is that both are being close to one another. The Son with the Father and the Father is with the Son, okay? There's also a second statement. Let's look at verses 22. Uh, Jeannie, could you read verse 22? Yeah, verses 22. Notice it says he's emphasizing them to be together again. But then you see the, the word that is comparison. Do you guys see the word as? Just as. What does it say after just as? We are one. Do you guys see that? Again, this we is talking about who? The Father and the Son. 
How many times does he talk about unity and he goes back to comparing the Trinity again? And the closeness of the Father and Son relationship? This is the second time, okay? I love this. This is like a trio. Within the final one is what? If you notice, there's a trio, right? In our point, when we look at the result of the unity, we saw three results. Now when we look at the mirroring the Trinity, Jesus gives three statements. Because the third one is found in verses 23. Verses 23. Could I have, let's go back to Caleb, read me verse 23. Uh, I am them that believe me, so that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. Okay. In verses 23, do you see the part when he talks again about his relationship with God the Father? He says, I in them. Stop there real quick. That means Jesus Christ is in who? Believers, okay? How close is Jesus Christ to us? Sometimes we think, we think other people are more closer to us than Jesus Christ. Which can be true, we're, you know, in a relational way. But in a real way, I think the closest one is Jesus Christ. Because He's not living with us. He's not living across from us as our neighbor. He's living in who? In us, okay? As it says here, he's praying to God the Father and he says uh, here, I in them. That is, Jesus Christ dwells with believers. Which, by the way, he must be God because what? In order to be all present everywhere in believers where? In Timbuktu, in, I don't know, Macau, in, I don't know, I don't know, so, you know, uh, Swahili land, you know, Malawi and all those other things. Okay, yeah. I thought the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Yeah, and the answer is both. Okay? He it is both. What okay? About, what about I think he does too. Because whoever has a son has a father. Those passages brought John. Mm-hmm. By the way, there's, uh, the omnipresence of God is everywhere. Okay? There's one sense Jesus Christ and the Father is in everyone, even non believers. The, but they're not in a same relational sense. There's, there's a sense when you're saved, He now dwells in you in a different way. There's a relational uh, way of, of being there. Does that make sense? Okay? Uh, with that. So, with that is we see that, again, He draws this. That I and them, and then He says what? You in me. Okay? This is those statements when Jesus Christ says, you, whoever has me has the Father. Metaphysically, how that happens is the Father and the Son are what? Are in each other. So when you, this is why sometimes Jesus Christ says, hey, how could you reject me? You say you are of the Father. Remember John chapter 8? But then I am of the Father. And then I know you're not. It's, like, it's because you are not of the Father. You don't know my Father. Because my Father and I, we're just so close, right? Uh, interpenetrating, so to speak, right? And yet here we see with this, the unity is the basis for the unity is by mirroring our unity. Let me stop at this point. There's some sense it's mysterious. But I actually think there's a real sense that our true unity comes from what? The unity of the Trinity. And then the unity of the Trinity living inside us. Okay? We don't just have each other in common of the Son, but also of the Father and also of the Holy Spirit that lives. We have a different spirit. We have the same spirit as the world has a different spirit. So all of this, really the only way we could really grow is really with the relations of the Trinity. Okay? Is everything okay? Okay? So is relations of the Trinity. Let me start at this point. Is there any question thus far? It's a mystery, but I think it's possible because of what? The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay? And by the way, it's also possible because of the working of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Right? He predestined the Father. The Son died for us. Right? 
to redeem us, and the Holy Spirit is drawing us and sanctifying us. Okay, so it's also practical. In actuality, it's not just only metaphysical belief. It's actually it's the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we can be what united in together. Okay, united together. Okay, which now leads to point number three. This is more the practical part, the means of unity. Okay, remember the basis of our unity is what the Father, Son, Holy Spirit as our example. But it's more than just an example. It's actually the work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to actually draw us together. So then we have to ask, what does it practically mean for us? Like, what is our responsibility? What is a human response for us to even have true unity? Okay? So if you're following along, how many means are there total? Four. Okay? What is means number one? We mirror the unity of the Trinity by meditating upon the triune relationship with the Trinity. Yeah. So it's really to focus on the way we uh, have unity. The first step we need to do is actually focus on who? On God. Actually, it's to worship Him. I actually think worshiping... I remember when I first got saved, my mom and dad says, what's the use of Christianity? It's like pie in the sky, right? Uh, you think about God so much, but then it doesn't do anything in your day-to-day life. But is that necessarily biblical? I would say no. Turn with me real quick to 2 Corinthians 3.18. When we get to 2 Corinthians 3.18, this is one of my favorite verses, like 1 John 1, 1.9 and 1 John 5.13 that I like to quote a lot. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians 3.18 and then Anthony, read that out loud. We all with unveiled face beholding as in the mirror of the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Okay, I think this verse is amazing. I think in the context of uh, the Lord can refer to any referent of the member of the Trinity, but I think in light of the next chapter, this is talking about Jesus Christ. Okay, it says here, if we behold, does all your virgins say beholding? Now, what is the difference between looking and beholding? Is which one's longer, looking or beholding? Beholding. Beholding. Okay. Yeah, it's taking. You're staring, and you're taking it all in. Okay. Did you see what it says? If you behold. The glory of the Lord. What happens to you? A T word. What happens to you? A T word. You're transformed, okay? The Greek word for transform means changing from the inside what? Out. Oh, I know I say this all the time. You guys look at a butterfly. Before a butterfly, it used to be what? A caterpillar, right? My daughter Abigail's favorite animal. But it becomes a butterfly later. But before it becomes a butterfly, what does it do? Metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. How does it do it? It forms around itself what? Chrysalis. Yeah, a chrysalis, right? Or a cocoon. Oh, actually, I found out because I teach my daughter. Um, uh, chrysalis is for butterflies. Cocoons is all for moths only. Okay? Uh, uh, that is soft, the cocoon one. For whatever reason, okay? Um, but with that, then it becomes what? Change from the inside out, okay? And I saw a documentary some kind of Discovery Channel kind of documentary, they actually open up, uh, what do you call it, a chrysalis, and they discover it's just all liquid. Because it actually changed the whole composite with it. So it's changing from the inside out, okay? Because I always thought it's just inside, oh, it's just there, and then it just slowly, this just becomes a whole green liquid. Wait, it died when they opened it? Like, well, yeah, yeah, they did, but it was just to make a point, yeah. 
<laughs> We're so sad about it, Dad. Okay, just like the teaching Bible study for whatever reason, when we teach about the the guy that's demon possessed, and then those all those demons enter the pigs. Every time, no matter what year, no matter how many times I taught that, no matter what decade, right? When I was 18 years old teaching it, when I was you know, uh, when when I was going to college, when I was going to seminary, and when I'm teaching even right now, everyone always gets so sad. What happened to pigs? It always fail. All the kids are saying, "What happened to kids?" How sad, right? So, oh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty sad. Then I end by saying preachers like, you know what? Someone need to die to free you. Jesus Christ died. Oh, I know. Yeah, Jesus Christ died. You always say every week. It was like, what? A pig dying? You know? And then here's Jesus Christ dying, right? But for whatever reason, every time, the kids are like, how sad, right? It's just my daughters too. You know, talk about like breaking up. They're like, well, what happened to Cocoon? Did it still become a... It's like, no, it's broken. They rip it up and show you it's just goo. Then it died. It's like... Yeah, but you step on ants, right? Let's go back on, okay? So let's go back on with that, right? Yeah. So what all of that is to say is this, okay? That the means of unity is actually, I actually think looking at Jesus Christ does change us from the inside what? Out, okay? Because it changes us. Do you guys believe that promise, okay? So it is interesting also, when you look at Jesus Christ, you're also going to be looking at the relations of Jesus Christ with who? Okay? With also the relationship with God the Father. Okay? So it does change us. The means that unity is looking at their unity also does something to us. What we want. By the way, you guys realize uh, in the next few weeks when, for Lighthouse, for Tuesday Bible study, we've been going, we're going to go into uh, the doctrine of sin. And one of the things I'm really excited in a few weeks from now, like four weeks from now, is actually about the teaching of the Old Testament. Is that whatever you worship, whatever's your idol, you become like. Okay? When you think about it, do you guys ever seen people that really love their dogs? They don't just love their dogs, but they idolize it. Then you look at them after a while, hey, they start looking like their poodle, right? You guys ever see that? Well, anyways, you get the idea. We become like our idols, okay? But there's something is that if you look at God long, the Bible teaches we actually become godly, okay? As this verse says, you look, behold Him, you're transformed, okay? You are transformed. So the first means of way of seeking unity is we need to what? Mirror the Trinity by what? Beholding the glory of Jesus and of course the Trinity. Okay? Beholding the glory of the Trinity transform us, right? I believe this verse. I believe this verse because this is how I feel like I change. Like in a real change, not like behavior modification. Is actually seeing Jesus Christ and His beauty and the marvel, the glory of the gospel and says, wow, I love you. And yet there's something spiritual that goes on that he actually changed our desire and our constitution. Okay? This is not like physically like when Moses beheld um, God in Yeah, uh, in Second Corinthians 3 and 4, he draws that, Paul draws an analogy where, uh, what's his name? Look at it. But then he draws it even more, whereas, uh, what do you call it, Moses see the glory and fades. His, you know, his glory eventually fade away. For us, it, it doesn't. It's going from glory to glory. Also, as it says here, glory to glory. Okay? With that. Okay? So it's drawing that analogy, but now it's saying spiritual truth. It's even a better covenant. Okay? It's really a better covenant. Old covenant, look at how it is. The, Moses' face even glow, but it fades away over time. But this one is, man, it's going from glory, not to fading, but to even more glory also as well. Okay? And you don't die. And you don't die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay? Uh, the face of God is also a very rich theme. Uh, maybe another retreat, another time, okay? The hands of God. Actually, there's so many cool things in the Scripture that, that runs through the pages of Scripture, okay? Second means is what? 
If the first mean is we behold His glory, second means according to the outline says what? Sanctification through the Word. Yeah, sanctification through the Word, okay? It's not just us thinking about Jesus Christ and then making up our imagination, speculation of what He is like. It's actually practically is through the Word, okay? Now, if you look back with me, in John seventeen twenty, could we read that again? Uh, Victor, could you read verse 20 again? So verses 20, I think Jesus Christ is saying He's praying for the believers. Okay, But what is it that He prays about is actually the contents of verse 19. He says, For their sake I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Do you see that? He, what He's actually praying for them is sanctification. And this is in the context of talking about unity. Okay, So the only way to be united is having what? Being sanctified. Okay, But what are we sanctified with according to verses 19? What are we sanctified with? What are we sanctified with? Truth. truth, okay. And where do we get truth? It's stated in John 17, 17. Okay? Uh, Noel, would you be able to read John 17, 17? We know it, we're sanctified by truth, but where do we get truth from, according to Jesus? Sanctify them in the truth. Okay. So it reveals that where do we get truth from? It's from what? The Bible. The Bible, Okay. God's word, okay? So it is true. We need, in order to practically have unity, we need to be what? Godly, yes? Uh, because we don't want to be like James 4. What is the source of strife and conflict among you? You want, right? What you want you is about your desire, okay? And you do not ask all of that. And what you do ask, you do satisfy for your own flesh, okay? So to fight that is actually sanctification. And the means of sanctification is what? from God's Word, including the doctrine of the Trinity, should sanctify us, okay? The truth about who He is, okay? Third one is, third means is what? Abiding in Christ, okay? Remember earlier verses 21, it says, that they may also be in us. Right? We believers are in who? Christ, Christ right? By the way, that's also amazing too. We are not just only in some positional sense. Yes, Jesus Christ is in us. The Father is in us. Holy Spirit is in us. But also it says that we are in who? In the Father. In the Son. In Christ is a big theme in the book of Ephesians. In a spiritual way. And in verses 23, he says, I and them. Do you guys remember that? I think this is emphasizing what is called union with Christ. Okay? Union in Christ, I mean. Okay? So when he says this, how do we understand? Does the Bible, does Jesus teach us about union in Christ anywhere? Is there a famous chapter he talks a lot about being united in Christ? Maybe let me rephrase it another way. Is there any passage in Jesus' teaching where he talks about us being in Christ, that he is the vine and we are the branch? John chapter what? 15. Okay, two verses before. I think this verse, every Christian should read this verse at least once a year. Okay? Remember he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Okay? Again, he's, Jesus Christ is what? Submitting, right? The father is the farmer. Literally in the he, uh, Greek is farmer, okay? And he's the vine, okay? And then we are the branch, okay? We're connected, right? If you, in verses 2, empty branches get removed, right? Uh, it's not connected in, okay? Uh, but then for those that are connected, bears what? Much fruit. 
So the means of this is what? So I want to say this. When you read the Word of God, it's not just only get factoids and facts, like you're reading Wikipedia, just scanning through. It's actually to be drawn closer to who? To Jesus. So when you're grafted in, then you bear much what? Fruit. So the Word of God is not just the end. Of, you know, it's the means to an end. Okay? The means is so that to the end of being abiding or having communion and union with who? The Son. And therefore, we could be able to be what? United with others, okay? There's also means number four. Receive the glory God has given us. Look at verses 22. Let's turn back with me to John chapter 17, verse 22. We're going to turn there. Julie, could you be able to read that again? Okay. I think there's something that blows my mind when I first read this. We often think who has glory. At least for me, I think of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How many of you guys actually every day think about, oh, we have glory? Actually, how many of you guys are shocked by this verse that it says what? The glory which you've given me, right? We normally think we give glory to who? God. But you guys catch what it says here? Jesus Christ says He gives who glory? Believers. Now, by the way, the glory is not the same as our glory, okay? He, he doesn't give His eternal glory. Glory that's only for God. Like, we, we, don't, we shouldn't be worshipped, okay? So that's not the glory He gives us. But there's still, what? Another glory. So there's a creaturely glory that He gives who? Us. So I actually think one of the other means of that is receiving God's glory. But let me say this real quick. The glory, the best way to understand the glory that He gives us, there's so many ink in commentary spill. What does this mean? Okay? Jesus says it's so weird. He gives us glory. But remember, whatever this glory He gives is tied that we are able to have what? Unity. And I think the best way to understand what this glory is that He gives us is by looking at what kind of glory did Jesus receive when He was on earth that we are also called to live and do, okay? So like serving a well-known good master and then Mm -hmm. because you're serving Him, people know you. Yeah, I think there is that analogy. Good, okay? Uh, as you're doing something well, you get the glory. I think even the Michael Phelps analogy, right? He's doing swimming well, but he's also not just representing himself. He's representing his country. The country gets the glory, too. There's a bigger thing that gets the glory also as well, okay? Uh, it's an unusual statement, but I want to say this is not the only time Jesus ever says that God gives us glory, okay? Turn with me real quick. Turn with me also real quick to John chapter 5, verse 44. I want to just show you that there's another verse that this, because I want to say this because so many times this is stumbling. So many times, because we know we should glorify God. But then we might say, wait, is there any other verses that teach the teaching that Jesus Christ and God glorifies us too? Okay? Oh man, it's a sign of things to come. Hopefully. John 5, 44, okay? John 5, 44. Uh, could I have, Julie, did I, Julie, you already read? Jeannie, could you read John yeah, did you see this? He's saying hey, these guys are unbelievers because what? They're seeking glory from only from one another, okay? So the problem is not that they seek glory. The problem is they, cheap, they seek cheap glory. Mm-hmm. Only glory for one another. So here it clearly says that there will be someone that glorifies us, okay? But then we ask, how do we actually, what is this glory He gives us, okay? I think how we, 
receive glory is by focusing on what? Focusing on glorifying God and what we do, okay? Let's turn back with me to John 17, verse 1. Caleb, would you be able to read John 17, verses 1? John 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Yeah. Here in this verse, notice Jesus asked the Father to glorify your Son, that is himself. But it's not self-surfing, right? Because he says, so that the Son may glorify you, okay? Uh, I think the analogy, what I often think of is, um, in 2003, the, you know, there's a general that's in charge of all the five services in the military. Uh, and the, the first time they ever had a Marine was this guy named General Pace. Like, the, like you know, they rotate that. It's sometimes an Army guy in charge of the whole military, sometimes a Navy guy, sometimes the Air Force guy. But this guy, and when he retired, he served for like for 40 years. He was like a Vietnam War vet. And, you know, usually when they retire, they give them one last, like, final good medal for thank you for your 40 years of service. And the news report actually saw him, that after he retired, as soon as the ceremony was over, like, you know, his goodbye ceremony, they gave him a certificate, people, you know, Bush gave a speech, all of that. You know where he drove next right away? Well, actually, he was nearby. He went to Arlington National Cemetery. And you know what he did? With all his medals, with all that he had, and he wrote a letter to the Marines that served with him when he was a young Marine, as a young lieutenant, serving in the Vietnam War, and saying, hey, this, all of this is for who? It's for you, right? The guys that, that died, right? I think that's an example that Christ also gives analogy also as well for us, right? He, we receive glo- uh, crowns. Are those crowns glorious? Mm-hmm. You guys know as, uh, we will get crowns. You guys realize that? I actually think there's different crowns, okay? Now, I, I kind of like medals, okay? Uh, you, know, I, you know, there's different kinds of medals, right? Everyone gets one. What's the one that we always get? What is it called that? What is that called? For all the people that good serve? Wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not good, every good cookie. Uh, um, national defense, right? Yeah. You serve in time of war, everyone gets that one little red one. It looks like ketchup, red and yellow, okay? <laughs> um, then, you know, I think everyone will get, when you're a believer, everyone will get crown of life. But then there's also different ones, right? Faithfulness, all of that, okay? But all of that, is, is this so we go around heaven and say like, uh, you know, you, you hang out with Marines and then you drop your thing and then you pick it up. It's like, hey, stop showing off, right? Because you make all the medals clang, right? Uh, is that what it is? No, it's actually, we get all this so that we could put before the feet of who? Who do we put all our crowns before? God. Christ. Christ. We give it back to Him also as well. So He gets good. So, but the thing we need to do is what? Be faithful and glorifying God by doing the things that glorify Him. That's how we get what? glory from him does that make sense this is the one maybe we don't like as much but it's biblical is suffer for god how do we receive glory from god is suffer for god now this goes against the rest of the world the world will see a christian suffer hey, there's something wrong with you but the teaching of scripture is when you suffer for god you also get glory from god okay john chapter 12 verse 23 uh john chapter 12 verse 23 wendy would you be able to read john chapter 12 verse 23 is that possible? Yeah. Okay. John chapter 12, verse 23. Yeah. Here, by the way, Jesus is about to die. We would think that's a very unglorious way of dying on the cross. But yet he says what? By suffering for God and God's purposes, we receive glory. Because as it says here, right? The Son of Man is going to be glorified, even though He's going to die in a very undignified 
and very unglorifying way, humanly speaking. Okay? This should, by the way, change the way we view suffering. Okay? Even suffering when it comes to unity. Because sometimes part of unity is also, A, we need to be like, A, it's rather be wrong than be what? Than be right. Okay? And the last part is this, future resurrected body. Okay? By the way, will we all have a glorified body one day? Okay? Our body would be better than before, right? I love right now, we just went walking over there. And some of the guys were doing pull-ups, right? Did you guys used to do more pull-ups when you were younger or right now? Victor? More now or less? Same. Whoa. Wow, okay. Anthony. Anthony's like, back in my day, I used to do 20, okay? I'm fat now. Okay, yeah, okay. I'm fat now. Yeah, okay. And yet one day we all receive what? Glorified what? Bodies, okay? We will all receive glorified. By the way, you guys realize in heaven, do you guys ever have this? When I was a young Christian, I remember thinking, I remember as a, I, re, I know this is going to sound funny. I remember when I was 16, when I got saved, eating ramen. I really, really love ramen. <laughs> and thinking, boy, in heaven, there's never going to be ramen anymore because we won't have bodies. Because I was picturing we're going to be like Casper. We're floating there, right? We'll just be nothing more than cream cheese, right? Just, just floating there, playing harps, right? Or something like that, okay? But that's more Greek philosophy, okay? Biblical views, we'll have resurrected, we'll come back down on earth. And I was like, man, to discover that, man, you're eating your ramen, thinking, man, in heaven, they're going to be able to invent, or new heaven, new earth, they're going to be able to invent ramen that's not going to affect my health, or I exercise enough because I'm <laughs> sanctified, right? What a joy that is, right? What a joy that is, right? There will be no more lobsters. I don't think we'll eat real lobsters, but boy, the imitation lobsters is going to be so good. It's going to be better than the real thing. You're like, wow, I can't wait for the new heaven, new earth already, okay? So all that is to say, yeah, yeah. So I can't wait to be able to play basketball one day because I can't play basketball now and actually be able to slam dunk, okay? You know, and, and be, say, Jeremy Lin, you got nothing on me, okay? No more insanity here. Because why? Because of glorified body. I can't wait for that, okay? So that's also one way he glorifies us. And let that be a motivation that if he's going to die for us, save us, and give us a glorified body so that we might enjoy him forever, why would we not work and strive for unity? Okay?